Hey, Chapel Street Church family. I'm excited to tell you about our next generosity initiative. As you probably know, every year at Advent season during Christmas, we select a Serve the World partner to tell you their story, to pray for them, and to encourage you to be generous to what God is doing in their ministries. And then usually one other time a year, we pick another Serve the World partner to do the same thing. This year, with our Vacation Bible School students happening right now, uh, who are always generous during those weeks to give, we've decided to partner with our kids to support a ministry called Cure Zambia. Cure is a remarkable ministry. They're putting first world hospitals in developing countries. And the hospital in Zambia, Cure Zambia, is one I've actually been to with my wife years ago to see firsthand this life-changing ministry that they're a part of. And we have a church-wide goal across all of our campuses, together with our kids in VBS, to bless this ministry, to provide enough money to hire a new surgeon, equip a new surgical center, and provide the necessary resources for the children's equipment as they recover from these life-changing surgeries. Again, I've been there, I've seen these families and these children and how what Cure is doing changes them, transforms them, both physically and spiritually. And so together, this is a great opportunity for us to demonstrate the generosity of our God across the world. Let me just take a minute to speak to those of you who have never yet taken a step of generosity here at Chapel Street Church. This is the perfect opportunity for you to take that step, to be generous to what God is doing, because this money is being given away to bless a remarkable ministry and bless people we may never meet, but people who God sees and God knows and God loves and cares about. So let's together as a church family, along with our kids, be generous and reflect the heart of God. When we're generous, we reflect God's heart, we move the mission forward, and we remind ourselves that this life, all we have is a gift of God's grace. It's not ours, it's His. So Chapel Street Church, let's jump in this journey together. Uh, I'm very excited that we get to do this. I love getting to see uh, the generosity that comes out of our kids during VBS week. I got to be uh, a first-hand um, observant of that this week. Uh, I also, unfortunately, had to be on the dance team for VBS, which you, even though I look like an amazing dancer, it was, it, was a, it was a hard week. But my favorite part about being there at VBS is watching those kids give, because you will see kids from all kinds of different backgrounds and church experience come and give so generously. The kids actually raised over $4,000 in four days last week. Uh, kids from first grade all the way up to fifth grade. Those kids were out uh, doing lemonade stands in their neighborhoods. They were asking neighbors if they could do uh, chores for them to try and raise money. They would tell the story of Cure International and what they do. And it was just, it was such a great challenge to me to say, I want to I wanna be generous as these kids are generous. Because what they're showing me right now is the heart of God, a God who is generous to us. Like, that's why we are generous at church. That's why we make it a part of our worship is because when we give, we display the heart of God who gives so generously to us. So I, I don't want to add to anything that Pastor Jeff said because uh, it, there is so much there, um, but I, I would love for you to consider how you might jump in on this uh, because it really is going to be a special moment for our church to partner with Cure International and to, he all the way from Geneva, Illinois, be a part of something that God is doing all the way in Zambia. So uh, I just want to pray one more time that God would use this uh, and that God would allow us to join him uh, in making an impact. So would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this chance uh, to be a part of what you're doing in the nation of Zambia and the work of Cure International. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the, the humility and the service 
and the generosity of all those who serve over there in the hospitals and the way that they love those kids, pray with them, share the gospel, and meet their medical needs. And God, we pray that we would join them in their generosity and that we would give what we can, what we're able to, to further your kingdom and your work with the families in Zambia. Lord, we praise you, we love you, and we thank you for your generosity to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, I don't know how many of you in this room are fans of Taylor Swift. Uh, They noted once, I I don't know whether you would still call her a country singer. She was once a country singer, now she's just apparently the most famous person on earth. She hosted a series of concerts at Soldier Field in downtown Chicago, I think it was just a couple of weeks ago. And it was an absolute uh, pandemonium down there in downtown. There were so many people flocking. In fact, some of the tickets that were sold for this concert were reselling for thousands of dollars because people wanted to be at this concert so bad. So the average ticket sale was $2,400. Some of them were reselling at $30,000. People wanted to be at these concerts so bad. So yeah, now you're like, now I do want to know who Taylor Swift is if I didn't know before. Um, But that's not the end of the the craziness surrounding people who wanted to go see Taylor Swift. Listen to this. There was a chocolate company in Philadelphia, and what they did is they took a page out of Roald Dahl's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. They sold candy bars with a code in it, and if you got that code, you could win a ticket to Taylor Swift's concert. And people were buying up these candy bars, just like in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, so they could go to a Taylor Swift concert. And then then you go to the really strange corner of the Taylor Swift fans. I think they're known as the Swifties. And um, they would sell things online from the concerts for extravagant amounts of money. See, these are some of the wonderful things you can buy from a Taylor Swift concert. A bag of air that may contain Taylor Swift's breath. You can buy that for $100. What a bargain. I mean, let's make sure that we get online right after church today. A bag of air that might contain the breath of a random girl who can sing and dance. These are the kinds of things that the fans get into. They are so passionate about wanting to be in Taylor Swift's presence, about wanting to hear her music. They want to be there. They don't want to miss it. There are things that we search after in our life, if we're honest, that we go after with so much passion, so much thoughtfulness, so much engagement. Sometimes it's strange. But sadly, something that we probably don't pursue with that same level of passion and excitement is wisdom. And wisdom is so critical to life. We started looking at this subject of wisdom last week in the book of Proverbs. Pastor Brian led us through that. The book of Proverbs is a wonderful and fascinating book. It was written by King Solomon, who is the father of Israel's wisdom literature. And it's kind of a a compendium of various different types of writings. The book starts with some poetry that uh, explains the story of a father writing to a son, inviting him to know wisdom. And the bulk of the book is made up of, as its title suggests, a series of proverbs. One kind of single sentence lines that explain an aspect of wisdom or or give us insight into a, a part of wisdom. This book was probably used in ancient Hebrew schools for young boys who were trying to learn wisdom in life. And the teacher would kind of teach these poetry and these proverbs to to grow them in wisdom. But I want us to understand wisdom in this way. When we approach this book, we want to be really specific about what it is we're going after when we say that we're searching after wisdom. Here is, I think, a good definition of wisdom for us in this series. 
Wisdom is the skill of living a faithful and godly life by being competent to the realities of life. Wisdom is the skill of living a faithful and godly life by being competent to the realities of life. In marriage and work and family, we are all going to face decisions where we need to be competent to the realities of life and we need to be able to apply God's will and God's heart to all of those decisions. When we ask questions that we can't answer any other way, questions like, who are we going to marry? Where are we going to live? What are we going to do for our career? These are all questions that there is really no right or wrong answer to. We need wisdom to answer them. We need to be able to see clearly the true purpose of our lives and how we can best pursue that. How we can be skilled in living faithful and godly lives. And that's exactly what we're seeking this week, the right way to pursue wisdom. Today we're going to look at the second and third chapters of Proverbs and ask this question, how do we pursue wisdom? And we're going to see three things, I think. The first is that we will see that we need to pursue God's word. The second, that we need to pursue God's path. And lastly, that we need to pursue God's heart. First, we talk about pursuing God's word. Now, many of you know I've now, I've got a face that's very familiar with my glasses. I was not always uh, someone who wore glasses. The story of how I got glasses is rather humiliating because I was about 12 years old and uh, everybody in my school had an eye test, an eye exam. And my eyes were fine, but I wanted a pair of glasses. So I faked my, my exam. I, I remember to this day, it was probably ridiculous because, you know, an 11 or 12-year-old trying to fake an eye exam and do badly on it, it comes off as obvious. But I, I, so I got my pair of glasses. Now, let's fast forward to my age now. I'm 35. The other night, I was watching television, and one of the characters in the show was reading their text messages, and I realized I could not see a word on their phone, and it, like, it took up the whole screen. I couldn't read any of the words. And all of a sudden, I realized that even though all those years ago I'd faked my journey, my body has finally actually decided to live that out for real. And now my eyesight is deteriorating. So now I need my glasses badly. And I, I've noticed far more now how much of a difference my glasses make in my daily life and being able to read things and being able to, to notice the subtleties of things. And really, wisdom is like a pair of glasses. It gives us insight. It gives clarity to things. It helps us see rightly. This is what we're told in Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God." Pastor Brian mentioned this last week, but at the end of uh, the first seven verses of chapter one, we're told that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. And so the pursuit of wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord begins with his word. Fear of the Lord begins with his word. Remember that the fear of the Lord in a, a biblical understanding, it isn't terror. What the, the biblical writers are not saying is that they want us to be terrified of God. Rather, the fear of the Lord in the, the biblical narrative is more an idea of, of respect and awe and reverence. Fear of the Lord is an idea of reverence. It's a respect for his power, his greatness, the purity of his goodness and holiness. 
And what will help us best have that awe and that reverence is His Word. The Word of God reveals this great God, all of His goodness and justice and mercy. And so Proverbs 2 tells us that if we receive the teachings of this book, and it means kind of Proverbs in particular, but also the counsel of all of Scripture, if we receive those teachings, we'll understand the fear of the Lord. That's what it says in verse 5. And so Proverbs wants us to understand wants us to understand that God's Word gives insight and it gives us understanding into wisdom. It's where we begin. Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. See, the Word of God, these collected uh, writings of uh, evangelists and pastors and teachers and kings and poets, All of it is kind of collectively like a light bulb that illuminates a room. When we open God's Word, light shines out and we can see where we are. We can get some context to what's going on around us. Imagine being in a dark room with all the lights out and you can bump into things and you can feel the shape and you can kind of feel your way around, but you don't really know what it is you're dealing with. The Word of God gives us that answer. The Word of God helps us understand what is this world that we are living in? What is the meaning of our lives? What gives purpose to it? What's most valuable? Now, the Word of God does not answer every question that we could possibly have, and I think it would be foolishness to to treat the Bible in that way. However, it does answer all the questions that we need to have answered. The Bible is not exhaustive, but it is sufficient for life and godliness. It gives us all the things that we do need. But the problem is, a lot of us are living in the dark, and we are trying to come up with meaning for our own lives apart from God's Word. A lot of us are trying to shape our lives based on our desires, our impulses, our opinions. And C.S. Lewis has some really good advice about this. He has an interesting point that he says about wisdom. This is what he says in his book, The Abolition of Man. He says, For the wise men of old, the cardinal problem of human life was how to conform the soul to objective reality. And the solution was wisdom, self-discipline, and virtue. But for the modern, the modern mind, the cardinal problem is how to conform reality to the wishes of man. What C.S. Lewis is saying is that there's been a change in how we see wisdom. At one point in time, wisdom was about observing objective reality and saying, how do I conform myself to that? How do I fall in line with the way that God has wired things, created things, designed things? And in the modern mindset, that's changed. And remember, C.S. Lewis was writing 60, 70 years ago now. And even then, he said, it seems to me that things have changed so that now we don't conform ourselves to the reality of life around us. Rather, we try and change life to fit our own design. And when we do that, we're living in a dark room with no light. True wisdom is pursued by understanding the deeper meaning of the world that you're living in and conforming yourself to that, not trying to reshape reality to your own desire. We should live with generosity and and truth and justice and mercy and integrity, not because those are great virtues in and of themselves, because that is the way in which we conform ourselves to the design that God has given this world. Kind of think of it this way. If we were to design a plane, for that plane to be successful, it would need to obey and conform to the laws of aerodynamics. 
I can't craft a plan based on my own design. I've got to understand, well, what's going to best help this design thrive? What's going to best help this plan glide? So wisdom is that pattern, is that kind of organization of reality in which we're conforming ourselves to so that we can thrive, so that we can grow. And so we cannot overstate the importance in the Word of God in building wisdom within us because without it, we won't see the pattern. We won't see the design. St. Augustine said that wisdom is, the wisdom of a, what a person says is in direct proportion to his progress in learning the Holy Scriptures. And I'm not speaking of intensive reading or memorization, but real understanding and careful investigation of their meaning. The best thing that we can do in our pursuit of wisdom is to take steps to pursue God's Word to understand it, to get together with brothers and sisters in Christ and wrestle with the things that are most difficult that you find in here so that your heart can gain insight into God's good design for this world and for your life. But the pursuit of wisdom doesn't end there. The second thing that Proverbs teaches us about pursuing wisdom is that we must pursue God's path. We must pursue God's path. One of my favorite films from the 80s is the original Karate Kid. Not the new one that came out probably like 10, 15 years ago, but the, uh, I've got a picture here of Mr. Miyagi and Daniel-san. How many of you are fans of the Karate Kid? That's okay, but we need to change that, okay? <laughs> we need to change that. This is, the, the Karate Kid trilogy is one of the greatest trilogies ever made. And one of the, the best scenes in the whole trilogy happens in the first movie where Daniel-san comes to see Mr. Miyagi and says, I want you to teach me karate. I want to learn karate like you. And so what Mr. Miyagi does is he sets some tasks for him. He says, I want you to wax my car. I want you to wash my fence or paint the fence, he says. He says, I want you to paint the fence up and down. I want you to wax my car. Wax on, wax off. That's what you see in that picture there. He's teaching him that. And over time, Daniel becomes frustrated and says, I came here to learn karate, and you've been teaching me how to paint your fence and wax your car. And what he reveals to Daniel is the motions that you've learned from doing those things is the karate. And so these mundane, boring, seemingly frustrating things have actually formed in you uh, what you've been searching for this entire time. Wisdom is very much like that. Wisdom is a collection of kind of mundane, boring behaviors that over time form in us a way of living and seeing and understanding that help us thrive. Proverbs 2, verses 6 to 11 say this, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk, whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Proverbs goes on to talk like this throughout all of its writings. That wisdom is a path, a good path to be pursued, to be followed. And when you follow that path, when you follow that journey, it will craft in you wisdom. Walking a path requires something a little plain and mundane. 
Walking a path means you've got to put one foot in front of the other again and again and again. To travel a path, it's repeated patterns of behavior. That's what wisdom is like. Wisdom isn't formed in big dramatic moments. It is not, as we often think about it, a doorway that when we unlock wisdom, we just walk right into it. Wisdom is a long journey of repeated, often mundane behaviors. There was an early church heresy known as Gnosticism. Right after the start of the church, there would be a group of people called the Gnostics, and Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And they would view kind of spiritual life as this doorway that could be walked into, this secret knowledge. And if you got the secret knowledge, you had everything you need, and you'd arrived. And the Christian church had to confront this, because that's not at all the way that life and godliness is presented in Scripture. It's not a door to be walked through magically. It's a long journey to be traveled requires faithfulness, and as many people have said over the years, a sustained obedience in the same direction. To walk the path, we need to know and learn three things. First of all, we need to learn to know ourselves. We need to learn to know ourselves. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, one of the most famous passages of Scripture says this, "'Search me, O God, and know my heart.'" Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. See, wisdom is the skill of allowing God to examine you. Wisdom is the ability to understand one very important thing. God knows you better than you know you. God understands your heart, your mind, your life better than you do. And so wisdom compels you to let him examine you and teach you, to let him teach you how to know yourself. See, we need to know who we are, otherwise we make foolish choices. If we don't understand our limitations, our temptations, our flaws, we won't walk the path of wisdom. Now, we'd love to examine others we don't often like to examine ourselves. We don't like to ask hard questions like, how is it really going within our soul? What's going on deep inside of us? What are the things that are motivating us? What are the things that are frustrating us? We love to look at others outside of ourselves and find those things in them. It's more difficult to look inward. Because the truth is, when we look inward, sometimes we find things that we don't like. When we really look deep within ourselves, we see things that we don't like. Whenever I'm uh, disciplining my kids and we're talking about something and we're talking about something that's gone wrong, they've been fighting with each other, they hate asking themselves the question of what they did to contribute to it. it always want, they want to be another sibling. And the truth is, even though we look at that and we say, well, yeah, that's what children do, that's very immature, the truth is adults are doing that every day. We would much rather examine others than examine ourselves. We'd much rather know others than knowing ourselves. And yet, wisdom compels us to know ourselves. It compels us to look past the discomfort and the pain and the difficulty of examining ourselves. And it teaches us to see ourselves rightly. Second thing to walk this path is that we need to learn to know community. We need to learn to know ourselves and we need to learn to know community. 
Proverbs 15, 22 says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. The entirety of Proverbs is very clear. Community is essential to wisdom. Getting input from others is essential to wisdom. Wisdom cannot be pursued apart from community. And so, wisdom is the skill of cultivating many advisors, many mentors. It is the ability to know that you will know God better through community than through isolation. If you've learned to know yourself rightly, then the thing that will naturally follow is that you will want to be in community because you will learn to distrust your own view and you will want to build insight from others. You will see your need for community. A wise person is so unsure of his own wisdom. And this is why churches the world over, and especially here at Chapel Street, we try to value small groups of various kinds. We value men's team groups and rooted groups and women's Bible studies and life groups because we know that wisdom can't be pursued apart from community. And those groups often when we first get in them can be uncomfortable and awkward and challenging, and yet we can't find wisdom without them. In fact, I would go as far as to say, perhaps this is a tad dramatic, but a church that doesn't have some kind of small group ministry, doesn't have places where people can connect with one another, share life together, confess their sins to one another, encourage one another, if that doesn't exist, that church won't find wisdom. And I think I would speak for many of the the ministry leaders at Chapel Street. We believe that with our hearts, and so we try as best we can and in as many places as we can to create spaces where we don't just gather on Sunday mornings, but we can get to know one another and walk beside one another. Because it's essential. It's necessary. Last thing that we need to learn on this path of wisdom is we need to learn to know our hope. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and 17 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. See, wisdom is the skill of using every life experience as an opportunity to grow, even the difficult ones. In fact, it's the ability to know that even your difficulties in the kingdom of God, in the hands of God, can serve a redemptive purpose. Even the most horrific tragedies and sufferings that befall us can serve a purpose in the hands of wisdom. There's basically two views in our culture on struggle and on suffering. Either one, on the one hand, it's meaningless, it has no purpose whatsoever, or on the other hand, it's destructive that perhaps it does serve purposes, but it destroys people. It ruins lives. That there is, there is either no meaning to suffering or there's no constructive purpose to suffering. But Scripture says that's not true. Suffering and challenge and difficulty can both have a purpose and it doesn't need to destroy you. It doesn't need to undo you. But in order for that to happen, In order for your sufferings and your challenges and your trials to serve an eternal purpose, you need to know that your hope is not happiness, your hope is not legacy, your hope is not reputation, your hope is not wealth, 
Your hope is to experience Christ, to become more like him, and to know him in his death and resurrection. That is your hope. That's what allows your suffering to become redemptive or purposeful. And honestly, I think more often than not, we use faith or we see faith as a means to try and uh, maintain our life, to gain control over it and to keep things as they are. And yet true, authentic, biblical faith will disrupt your life because it wants to change you. It wants to remake you. Wisdom is realizing that authentic faith is meant to change us and challenge us. And so pursuing wisdom is the pursuit of your renewal into the image of Christ. Is that what you are pursuing in your journey towards wisdom? Is it renewal and remaking? Finally, if we want to pursue wisdom, it means we must pursue God's heart. We must pursue God's heart. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 Say, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, and then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. See, the teacher in Proverbs, this father writing to his son, is going to teach us again and again that we must come to God in order to pursue wisdom. Because there's a problem in pursuing wisdom. There is a huge gap in our pursuit of wisdom, and it's this. You and I cannot drive ourselves to love our neighbor enough. We cannot drive ourselves to look at our own hearts deeply enough. We cannot compel ourselves to let other people in and to share life with them, and we cannot compel ourselves to love God's word. Those are the things that we must do to pursue wisdom, but we cannot do them in our own strength. So there's a problem, there's a gap, and this is why we need God's heart. It's why we must pursue God's heart. Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Why would Jesus tell people about his own heart? Why would Jesus want to reveal to his followers, this is my heart, I'm gentle, I'm lonely, lonely, I want to bring you rest. I've been reading a book over these last few months called Gentle and Lonely by a guy called Dan Portland. He's a pastor in Naperville. It's an incredible book. People told me for many years to read this book and I'd flicked through. But what drove me in the end to read it is spending time with my mom in her last days. I would read chapters and read them to her because she was unable to read And on our last day, actually, I sat and I read a chapter from Gentle and Lowly to her. And the entire book kind of unpacks that verse where Jesus says he's gentle and lowly, and it reveals his heart. What's God's heart for people? And it's beautiful. Some of the words that Dan Altman puts together are so helpful in understanding the heart of God. Because when you begin to know God's heart, 
you begin to pursue wisdom. Proverbs 3.3 says that we should bind love and faithfulness to our hearts. We should write it on our hearts. Essentially what it's saying is we need to remind ourselves continually of the love and the faithfulness of God. We need to know his heart to pursue wisdom. And where do we see his heart most clearly manifested? On the cross, in Jesus. That's why Jesus talks about his own heart because you have never seen a picture of God's heart more clearly than Jesus on the cross. The cross is the clearest illustration of God's love and it is the first step in pursuing wisdom. Because we are told by John repeatedly in the letter of 1 John, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and has given his son for us. And in the chapter earlier in 1 John 3, he says this, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. And says in his own gospel in chapter 17, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, at the cross, God lavishes his love upon sinners by making them his children, by taking their place and granting us eternal life. And so to pursue wisdom, to pursue true wisdom, you must look and behold that image and let it go into the deepest parts of your soul. How does that produce wisdom? How does it produce wisdom to behold Christ on the cross? Well, you'll never love God's word until you realize that it reveals the God who would take your place, who would give himself for you, who would step into the tragedy and the horror of this world and carry it all on his own shoulders out of grace. You will never examine yourself until you realize it's safe to do so because God has loved you at your worst. There is nothing in your heart that would frighten him away. It's all safe to look at. It's all safe to examine. You will never pursue community until you realize that the one who loves you has knit you together with others in his body. That he has invited you to join a family, to be known. And you will never understand your hope until you have seen it hanging on a cross for you dying for you, suffering for you, to ensure that every darkness that you face, every weight that will be upon you won't crush you. It will only make you stronger. It won't swallow you, but it can only serve to bring you closer to the one who loves you. In order to pursue wisdom, we have to be pounding these truths into ourselves every day. We have to remind ourselves about it every day. It is the primary thing in wisdom. It's why we're told in Proverbs chapter three, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. He will do the work. The cross is Jesus making your path straight. It is the wisdom of God being revealed. 
At the cross, what we find is a God that is worth pursuing. A God that is worth everything that we have. Far more precious than a Taylor Swift concert. And to pursue wisdom, you can do no better than to come to that cross, to acknowledge your need for that cross, and to let the love and the mercy and the greatness of God from that cross fill your life. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the wisdom that was displayed at the cross of Christ. We thank you for the greatness that was displayed at the cross of Christ. And we thank you that there we find a God that is worth pursuing with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, we thank you that in the gap of our journey into wisdom, we have your Son. May he fill our hearts with the kind of wisdom that comes from above, that we might walk in your way, a path that's straight, and we might be like him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before our benediction, I remind you that there are folks up front who would love to pray with you, uh, to share with you, to hear from you. So I encourage you to come forward if that is something that would be helpful for you this morning. And now may the mind of Christ our Savior rule in us. May the peace of God dwell in us richly. And may we go now in his name, ready to serve you. Amen.